are listening to another exclusive podcast from Pituitary World News. This is Jorge Fascinetti. Welcome. In today's podcast, you'll hear a discussion about pigvisament, or sumover, glucose metabolism, and acromegaly, in a fascinating review of a recent meta-analysis study from the University of Rome. Also, Dr. Blevins talks about these meta-analysis studies their advantages and limitations, and the need to be very cautious when you look online for papers relevant to your condition. Here's Dr. Blevins. Good afternoon. This is Dr. Lewis Blevins of Pituitary World News, and I'm podcasting to you this afternoon from Sausalito, California, on a lovely Friday afternoon. Blue skies, gentle breeze, perfect temperature, those days we all enjoy. I sort of like the gloomy days and the foggy days as well, but uh, it takes all types of weather to sort of balance life out, I suppose. Uh, At any rate, uh, today I want to share with you an article that was published in the Journal of Clinical Endocrinology and Metabolism, July 2019, volume 104, pages 2892 to 2902. This is an article that comes from uh, the University of Rome, and um, it's titled Pegvisimont Improves Glucose Metabolism in Acromegaly, a Meta-Analysis of Prospective Interventional Studies. Well, first let's talk about a meta-analysis. This is a sort of a I think it's a loosely used term uh, to describe review papers that um, people write summarizing a topic, but really asking a question or a specific question and trying to use the literature to uh, get an answer to the specific questions they have asked. So they'll take a look at um, all sorts of publications, throw out the ones that don't really have the, the stringent criteria of research or the way data was collected, or um, maybe they're lacking in some way to where it's impossible to sort of glean the information you need from the uh, particular group of studies. So they get rid of the ones that don't count or don't seem to matter or make a difference. And then they take a look at the ones that um, they select for further study where they believe, and analyzing these papers and the patients uh, discussing these papers will enable us to get an answer to the question we have asked. And I wanted to sort of talk about that a bit and also illustrate the concept of meta-analysis research performed by physicians. Now, keep in mind, these are usually academic-based investigators. They understand research. They understand papers. uh, They know how to review the literature and determine the relevance of findings and the uh, robustness of the research that was performed, etc. And what, what I thought was very interesting in this study, and I think it's a message to those of you who look at papers online, do your Googling, and try to answer the questions you may have about your own health problems. So this group of people looked at 7,248 eligible publications and they threw out the trash and they're left with 13 studies 
So as a physician, how many of those papers that they kept uh, did I read? Maybe try to get something out of it. More importantly, how many of those papers did you folks read and try to get something out of it? The bottom line is, and I've known this my whole career, is there's a lot of trash out there that's published research, and people take take it as, well, it's published, it must be the gospel truth, uh, but it's not true. And uh, this this study, I think, that just that, that that's one of the big take-home messages. You have to be careful what you review on the Internet. Sometimes these papers, even though they may state a conclusion, the, the research was not backing up that conclusion strong enough to be considered by uh, experts that uh, this is the, the truth, this is the way it is. So be careful when you're reading things, uh, and uh, if you find meta-analyses, that's fine. Seek the opinions of experts. Uh, be, be, just be careful as you try to uh, take things online, and uh, just because it's published, think that it's true and that it's applicable to you. So at any rate, uh, this is a very interesting topic as well the, you know, about pegvisimont and glucose metabolism and acromegaly. Pegvisimont, as you know, is a um, growth hormone receptor antagonist. It blocks the growth hormone receptor. Uh, the other name for it is Somavert, and this is a drug that we use to manage patients who have acromegaly. It's one of the classes of drugs, if you will, used in the management of acromegaly. One of the other classes is the somatostatin analog drugs, uh, which act like somatostatin and uh, inhibit growth hormone secretion from the the uh, pituitary tumor cells. So you have two drugs here, different mechanisms of action. Uh, this is about the drug that blocks the growth hormone receptor and uh, lowers IGF-1 levels as a consequence of that. Interestingly, we know that somatostatin analog drugs, um, by virtue of how they work, inhibiting uh, in a ubiquitous or global fashion all of the main neuroendocrine hormones secreted by the body, so one of the things they're going to inhibit is insulin. So if you have glucose intolerance to begin with, you can unmask diabetes mellitus or see higher blood glucose levels in a significant proportion of patients who have uh, acromegaly and are treated with um, somatostatin analogs. And keep in mind, patients with acromegaly have a higher risk of diabetes mellitus anyway, some estimated to be 20 to 40%, depending on how you define the diagnosis and whether you're talking about glucose intolerance and diabetes or just diabetes alone. But this drug doesn't do anything to those neuroendocrine cells that uh, have somatostatin receptors. It blocks the growth hormone receptor and leads to decreased IGF-1 generation by the liver and blocks growth hormone action in the peripheral tissues as well. Early studies suggested that this drug, pegvisimont, does improve hemoglobin A1c levels and uh, overall glycemic control, glycemic control a term being uh, used for blood sugar control. And uh, because of those early studies, I've often used pegvisimont in patients with acromegaly who have diabetes mellitus uh, because I don't want to worsen it with a somatostatin analog. I'd like to see it improve. Uh, and if I don't have a large tumor burden that I'm worried about suppressing with somatostatin analogs, I certainly use pegvisimont as a first-line monotherapy. And I think it is a reasonable drug to consider uh, as a, uh, a, a monotherapy as an initial form of treatment in patients who have acromegaly. Uh, so this meta-analysis looked at those trials where they could gain information about 
what they call glycometabolic outcomes. So they're looking at blood sugars, uh, hemoglobin A1Cs, etc., etc. And um, they're looking at uh, the effect that this drug has on those parameters uh, in patients who have um, acromegaly. So they also, in this study, looked at patients with combination therapy with pegvisomont and somatostatin analogs. I said before that somatostatin analogs might worsen the glycemic control. This drug might improve it. So they were interested in analyzing the literature on that uh, effect as well, just to see what, uh, what happens uh, in those particular patients. So let me just cut to the chase about the results here. Um, th these studies that they did the meta-analysis on collectively showed that uh, fasting plasma glucose was improved and hemoglobin A was also improved in patients with acromegaly who were treated with this particular drug. Hemoglobin A1C levels decreased by about a half a percent. Uh, so that's demonstrable improvement and pretty much uh, equal to the effect that some anti-diabetes drugs would have in patients with type 2 diabetes. When they looked at the group of patients who received pegvisomont and somatostatin analogs, um, basically they saw a neutral situation. So no one had improvement, no one had worsening of their glycemic control, uh, indicating these two drugs were balancing each other out. I think that observation itself is reasonable uh, suggestion that the use of these drugs in combination therapy when two drugs are required is is nice because you can sort of balance out the effects of somatostatin analogs with the pegvisomont versus, say, using cabergoline and somatostatin analogs, especially if a patient had diabetes or had glucose intolerance in response to treatment with uh, somatostatin analog drugs uh, at the outset. So this meta-analysis basically confirms the original data that came out of uh, the company uh, Pfizer that had, uh, I believe, done some of the initial studies on this particular topic. Uh, and um, I think that it heightens the importance of selecting therapies for patients based on individual need, uh, and especially um, so if a patient has diabetes mellitus at the outset um, due to their acromegaly, uh, you might want to use this drug as first-line therapy uh, just to avoid worsening diabetes with somatostatin analogs. So, all right, that's, uh, that's an interesting enough paper. Uh, the paper itself is as interesting as are the results, and I hope that you learned a little something about uh, the need to be cautious as you search online and look for papers that are relevant to your disease state. Um, and uh, if you have acromegaly, I hope that you've learned something about uh, how we might choose one drug versus another depending on your own individual characteristics. And it gets back to what I like to speak about uh, a lot is the fact that uh, we shouldn't manage acromegaly according to guidelines. Some of the old guidelines put somatostatin analogs as the first-line therapy, and pegvisomont was sort of thought to be a rescue drug. 
uh, this day and age, I think we look at all the drug classes as equal first-line agents. Unfortunately, some insurance companies don't, uh, but uh, to me, uh, somatostatin analogs, dopamine agonist drugs, and pigvisimont are all equally potentially first-line drugs in a management of acromegaly depending on the very specific patient characteristics. Uh, and this, uh, this approach allows me to individualize my care for my patients. All right, well, that's it for now. Uh, once again, this has been Dr. Lewis Blevins of Pituitary World News. Have a wonderful rest of your day. Thank you for listening. And a quick reminder that if you want to help, you can do so by donating on our website. Just go to pituitaryworldnews.org and click on Get Involved. Our mission is to help reduce the time it takes to diagnosis and improve quality of life for people with pituitary disease. Thank you.